Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Okay. Woo, wee, if you got your Bible. Few places I'm gonna go today, Romans chapter 13, of course. Uh, we'll get there later, but we're gonna land in 1 Timothy chapter two, so that's where you wanna start. We'll begin this conversation right there. Uh, we, we are in a series right now called The Gospel and Politics. For months I've been anticipating with excitement being able to have this conversation with you, and for months I have been ready to be done with it. It's been exhausting. Um, and today is the final installment of that conversation. We've talked about our kingdom citizenship in light of our place of life here on earth. We've talked about where politics fit into the kingdom of God and how they fit into the story of the kingdom of God, but politics are not the story of the kingdom of God. And then we talked about the gospel and the pandemic, the gospel and race, which is what we talked about last week. And then this week, we're going to talk about the gospel and the election. Hey, that was a good question you asked, Jason, by the way. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. Jason asked a great question. Yeah, y'all can celebrate now. Uh, how many of you feel anxious about the second? Uh, yeah, I think that there's a, that's a real feeling. Uh, as always, there is much at stake. As always, there is much to be considered. As always, changes of power mean changes of direction. And we all feel that pressure and that tension. Um, but this conversation today, as we look at the gospel and the election, I'm hoping that yet again, as the people of God, that we can allow the word of God and the ways and work of Jesus to color the way we see the things that we're facing right here and right now in real time in the 21st century of America. The word of God would speak to our kingdom citizenship before it ever spoke to our earthly responsibilities. Because the word of God expects us to know that we were first bought with the price through the words and work of Jesus that was finished on the cross, who was also raised from the dead, who also gave us a hope and a future and an inheritance that nobody else can offer us. But he didn't just do a thing in the past and a planning to do a thing in the future, but yet he gave his Holy Spirit to us to dwell within us right now, to weather the complexities of life with the grace and mercy of God, with the true wise one living in us with the true peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, truly. This is what God has done for us. So we as a kingdom people, though the second may shape up the way you wanted it to or the way you didn't want it to, the bottom line is this. There's a deeper place in you and there's a higher king that you serve. And so you shall not fear. Do not be afraid. Good news is Jesus isn't up for election because he is the timeless and everlasting king. Nobody can run against him, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but we do have some decisions to make. We do have some things to consider because since the beginning, since God created mankind, he had given them the responsibility to take dominion over the creation. We have a responsibility to be actively engaged in the process of stewarding this gift called earth and life that God has given us. So I wanna start here at a bedrock place 
1 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul gives Timothy some words of wisdom to remind him of his kingdom identity as it pertains to the right Christian response to politics. Because politics aren't a new thing. They've, always, they've been around as long as people have been around. And so this is what Paul says to Timothy about us as kingdom people, how our right response should be. And he says this, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, First of all then, first of all, before anything else, at the foundation of all things, there's a lot of other things that are important. There's a lot of other responsibilities that you're going to have. But first of all, first place, preeminent, got to happen first, be the centerpiece of everything that we're doing. I urge you that supplication, prayers, and intercession, intercession and thanksgiving are made for all people. Pray. Is that new news to you, O people of God, that at the foundation of our kingdom citizenship identity that we have in Christ, that we are meant to pray for one another across political lines, across racial lines, across the neighborhood, and across the dinner table. Praying for one another, actively engaged in intercessing, giving thanks to God for those that God has placed around us, praying for them, lifting them up before the Lord. Oh yeah, and also, by the way, verse two, also pray for your kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for your government, from community all the way to national. Oh yeah, and that we might lead a peaceful, as people of God, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Let me read that again, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, every Way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who, by the way, has an ultimate mission that is higher, that ranks higher than the governing of nations. He says, it is he, God our Savior, who desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is a reminder to us as kingdom people that our place in politics, wherever God places us, in history, whatever country we are in at that time in history, like we have a responsibility not to withdraw, not to try to dominate, but our responsibility is to represent, say represent, to represent. Because by the way, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you are ambassadors of the highest kingship in the history of the world. This place that we gather, this is just an embassy. This is where the ambassadors gather to be reminded of what the kingship is about so that when we go out into the world, we continue to declare it. We continue to establish the things of God wherever it is that we're going, truly as ambassadors of God. And that's why we are a people not of panic, but a people of peace. A people whose heart is at rest, even though the world around us may be in chaos, because we don't have to bow down to lesser kings and serve lesser things. We serve a mighty God who is still on the throne, who is still the ultimate power and authority. And guess what? Uh, I don't know if you recognize this or not, but before the United States of America even existed, the Church of Jesus Christ did. And after the United States of America goes away, one day, guess what's still gonna exist? The Church of Jesus Christ. America is an experiment. The Church of Jesus Christ is inevitable. America is temporary. The church of Jesus Christ is eternal. Don't lose sight. Don't miss out. Don't, don't get your priorities all out of whack. This is why the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you are sojourners and exiles. He calls us that to remind us as kingdom people, like, this is not our home. 
This is just a temporary space that God has placed us as his ambassadors so that the world might know what he is like. And we're, we're exiles, we're sojourners. It was like a story I told you guys a little while back. My wife spending time in the Amazon jungle a couple of months living on a barge on a missions trip. Reaching unreached people just out in the middle of nowhere in the jungle, eating jungle rat, jump roping with snakes. She wasn't there to try to change their polity. She was there on the mission of God. It was nothing to submit to the governing authorities of that tribe. Why? Because she knew it wasn't her home. She was about to load up on a plane, hopefully a couple months later, and head back to Lake Placid. That was her home. The same is true of us. We are on temporary assignment with a clear mission from the king to go and make disciples. And yeah, polity and politics and government, it is important. And yes, we should be involved. But remember, that is not why we are here. And it is eventually going to go away. But what will not go away is the kingdom of God, which will stand forever. Don't get caught on the wrong side of that discussion. This is important. This is why, by the way, yes, you need to pray Pray as a people of God, 1 Timothy chapter 2, for the kings and the leaders of our country. You need to pray for Donald Trump. You need to pray for Joe Biden. We as a people of God need to pray. Because whether you like it or not, I told you this a couple of months ago, we as a country are all walking down a gangway about to board an airplane called 2021 to 2024, and one of them jokers is going to be in the cockpit. And only a fool prays that the pilot crashes the plane. You hear what I'm saying? We're all flying together. We're all in this thing together. And as the people of God, we have a higher calling that even is above voting. It's to pray. It's to pray. Because the best thing that could happen in all of this, no matter who gets elected, the best thing that could happen is for whoever gets elected to have such a collision with the power of Jesus Christ in their life, but they can't help themselves but to bow to his lordship and run this country in accordance with the word of God and the gospel. To be totally transformed and flipped inside out, that's what we want to see. That's what the people of God should be praying for. We have a responsibility. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you guys may be saying, well, Dustin, like you sound so un-American when you talk like that. Listen, I'm as blue-blooded as American as you can get, bruh. I come from generations of military. I'm the first one in generations not to be in the military. My grandfather fought in World War II, Vietnam, the Korean War. My, my dad was 22 years retired, United States Air Force, senior master sergeant. My whole life was getting carted around the world with my dad. It wasn't until high school that he finally retired. Like, well, I, I feel something when I hear the national anthem. Like, I care about this country. And it is important. None of what I'm saying is trying to devalue America or devalue the importance of politics in America because it is important, but the Word of God calls us to a higher place. And though it's not devaluing the importance of those things, like when you recognize your calling as a kingdom citizen of God and your true kingdom identity, it demotes everything else down a rung or two in importance. Yes, it does. When you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth just seem to grow strangely dim all of a sudden. Would we be a people that wouldn't worship lesser gods and lesser kings and think that we are American before we are Christian because that's not true? Uh, probably the most important question that I could ask you in this whole process, you've done your research, you've studied, you've studied the, the policies, you've followed the candidates, you've listened to the, the, the debates, you've listened to the conventions, 
You've deba- debated with your friends. You've posted on social media. Like you, I mean, you're there. Like most people, if you haven't voted already, you've already decided like who you're going to vote for, for all the reasons that you want to vote. Some of y'all are riding with Biden. Some of y'all are on the Trump train. But here's the question. Here's the most important question that I need to ask you as you prepare yourself for those of you that haven't voted yet, thinking about voting, have voted or whatever. Like here's the most important question that I need to ask you as the people of God so that, so that you make sure you vote right in this process. And here's the question. Does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your allegiance and your loyalty and your trust and your hope? Or have you handed that away as you've searched for a different kind of savior? Lesser gods will never fail to fail us. They always have and they always will. Does Jesus have your heart? I know how to test this theory. Um, For those of us that do believe that Jesus has our heart, um, uh, here's how I would test that theory is, Uh, Whatever you talk about the most is what has your heart. I didn't make that up. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, whatever controls your tongue is what controls your heart. So let me ask you again, does Jesus have your heart? What is it that we spend the most time talking about? What is it that we're going to be talking about the most over the next couple of days? As we're sitting there on our couches at 11 p.m., watching the news on Tuesday night as the media is going to make it look neck and neck no matter what's reality anyway, just to keep you watching. That was free of charge, by the way. I'm trying to help y'all out, man. (laughs) They're a business too. They want you watching. Does Jesus have your heart? Are we searching for a Savior in a different place? Kingdom people need to keep asking ourselves this question before, during, after the election. As we continue to move forward into whatever the aftermath may be, like, does Jesus have your heart? Keep calling people back to the Savior and the King that we truly know and truly love and is truly faithful and truly timeless. Does Jesus truly have your heart? Now, let me be clear. Like, though all these things that I'm talking about right now are the most important, our kingship, citizenship, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to to ignore the fact that what's coming up on the second is very important. I'm not ignoring the fact that our government and policy and the leadership of our country is, is an important because it's, it's, it's very important. It, it matters. It's something we should be involved with. Again, as kingdom people, we are meant to represent. We're meant to be involved. We're meant to be involved in the stewarding of our country and our communities and our families. Like in the people of God need to be involved. We need to use our voice. We need to get involved in leadership and in government, like we need to get there. So let's, let's talk a little bit about these big things, government, leadership, and policy from kind of a biblical view to make sure that we're looking at these things in the right way and understand, have a better pick. We could talk about this for months without peeling back all the layers of the onion, but let me just give you a couple of snapshots to make sure as we swoop down and look at the trees of government leadership and policy to make sure we're looking at them from a biblical lens. Let's start with government, okay? Um, Did you know that the Bible doesn't endorse any particular brand of government above any other brand? As a matter of fact, if there was a brand of government that the Bible endorsed, it would be a monarchy where Jesus is king. Yeah, full-blown dictatorship where Jesus is on the throne. Like, that's what the Bible endorses. Aside from that, when it comes to global governments and how we govern our countries, like, there's not one particular brand that the Bible endorses. So, yes, 
The Bible does not have a specific endorsement of democracy. Did you know that? Democracy was a human ideal. I'm not saying that it's unbiblical in the sense that it's wrong, but I'm saying that democracy is not expressly biblical. We came up with it because we like the idea of it. I personally prefer it. So yes, I feel like it's worthy of defending. I feel like a constitution is worthy of defending. But democracy was not God's idea, it was ours. He gave us the freedom to have government in such a way. I know this is probably new news because we wield anything American as if it was all God's idea. Okay, democracy was not God's idea, it was ours. That's why there's fractures and cracks all through it. But I like it because I like freedom. And I like the people having a part to play in how the government is run. And so for me personally, I feel like it needs to be defended and it needs to be protected. That's just my own personal preference. But it's not coming from some biblical mandate that has told me democracy is God's way. You understand what I'm saying? That's from a general government overview. But let's talk about world leaders and God appointing and endorsing world leaders. Because let's be honest, we all want God's man or God's woman, right, to be in charge. As the people of God, like, that's something we should be praying for. Like, I want, I want the person God picks. I want, I want God's man or God's woman to be in charge of this thing or that thing, especially when we're talking about the presidency, the highest office in the free world, much less our country. Romans chapter 13 talks specifically about that. That's why I told you to flip over there to give it a look about God's involvement in the appointing of leadership in the country and in the world. And this is how he puts it, Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You catch what I'm saying? Like there's no one in positions of power that God hasn't appointed to that place. So yeah, we need to vote, and we're going to vote, and Electoral College is going to do their thing, and then ultimately, who's going to cast the deciding vote is God Almighty from the kingship of heaven. And just so you know, like, we do want God's man or God's woman, but just so you know, like, God has, it, it is not unlike God for him to appoint leaders throughout history to raise them up just to oppose them, because God's appointment doesn't necessarily equal God's endorsement. Are you following what I'm saying? It is not unlike God for him to raise up leaders throughout the generations just to oppose them. Remember the story of Pharaoh? Oh yeah, God raised him up and made him the king over all of Egypt. And what did God do? He opposed him. Sent plagues upon Egypt. Why? Because no matter who God puts in authority, God is meant to bring glory to himself through their kingship and through that government. Now he may do it all kinds of different ways and it may be the opposite of the way that you hoped he was going to do it, but I can assure you he will always get his way in the long run. That's just how he does it. Glory to God. He's the king. He's in charge. And by the way, like, God did, in fact, make an endorsement. And he has made an endorsement before, but there's only one time in history where God broke open the skies of heaven and declared over people, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Only once did he make an endorsement like that. And he was speaking of his son Jesus, and you can read about that in Matthew chapter 3, 16. So that leaves us in every election with lesser options. We need to know that. None of these guys, gals, are meant to be savior. 
None of them have a perfect plan or policy, and quite honestly, people who truly walk in their kingdom calling and a kingdom citizenship can't possibly find a perfectly comfortable spot in a two-party system. It doesn't work. Because there's a billion and one policies that we're trying to sort through and vote over and wrestle over and grapple over, and since, since our politicians are a lesser version of what Jesus is. They're imperfect people who have imperfect policy. And last time I checked, nobody's running for office that offers the a la carte option where you can just kind of pick out what you want. And so there's a lot on the line. We're not just voting for a person, are we? We're voting for what that person represents, huh? That's kind of what it boils down to. And so let me just give you a a list of a few of the things that what we're voting for is going to represent on the second. Um, Judicial appointments, gun control, gender identity, government mandates, drug policy, social security, social media regulation, net neutrality. I don't even know what the heck that is. Government spending, corporate tax, capital gains, property tax, pension reform, prison reform, police reform, labor unions, tariffs, immigration, border wall, border security, campaign financing, foreign lobby. You want me to keep going? I will. Medicaid, marijuana, veterans affairs, education, climate change, oil drilling, alternative energy, nuclear energy, space exploration, foreign aid, foreign election, UN, NATO, NSA, drug trafficking, public transportation, foreign affairs, and we're just getting started. I think you get the idea. There's a whole lot of stuff being discussed and debated, and these guys that are running for public office of president honestly stand in so, very few things that they agree on. There's so many polarizing views of all of these things. And this is why, let's take a biblical perspective of policy and how all this works. Um, the Bible speaks to much of the things that we talk about and need and address in our government here in the United States of America, but for most of those things, it speaks about them indirectly. Because we're talking about a different culture, a different context that this was written. Believe it or not, you're not going to find anything in the scripture about the nuclear program. That was kind of a new idea. But for all the things that are like in the scriptures that are indirectly addressed when it comes to governing a nation, like it, it is clear and concise and bold about the things that it needs to be bold about. That the word of God says like this is how it has to work for the people of God. This is what I believe God says. But the large majority of the things that I just read on that list, like there's a variety of places that you could stand on that particular issue and still be safely within your godly options. This is part of governing a society. A lot of the things that we want to take to the stake aren't necessarily inherently biblical ideas. Once again, they're just things we came up with because we like the idea of them. And now we as Christians have a tendency to try, try to tie them back as if they were Christian ideals and they're not. Now, the Bible indirectly addresses a lot of things, but doesn't give us a clear, concise, this is how you got to do it. For example, um, the Bible is, Bible does tell us that we need to take care of our orphans and widows, our immigrants and sojourners, that we do need to pay taxes, but it doesn't necessarily go into the detail of why and how much and how long and like all the details that we can have different opinions on how we're supposed to about, go about doing this. We're supposed to care for other people that are in need, but to what extent, how much, how are we supposed to go about doing that? We're supposed to pay taxes, the Bible tells us, but it doesn't tell us whether to raise the taxes, lower the taxes, or have a flat tax. God says, that's up to you. Figure it out. But there are a few things that the Bible is like expressly direct about. Like there's no way to avoid it as a kingdom person. 
Even though you can side on a variety of places on a variety of different issues and still be well within your godly options, like there's a, there's a few things that like God is so specific, like silver bullet clear about that this is where he stands on the issue. And as a people of God, you have to take the same side as God if you want to walk in obedience to God. Okay, you can't disagree with God and still be a follower. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to believe what God is believing. Believe what God is saying. When it comes to these very specific issues, let me just give you three of the most specific issues, which, you know, 50 years ago weren't really up for conversation, but now they're a part of the, the conversation of American politics. These are three very, and by the way, all three of these things, I would need at least two weeks to do a sermon just on these three things so that you understand the full picture of what God means through that so you can see the love of God work its way through these things, see how it translates into our modern context, but since we don't have time for that, I'm just gonna have to give you the bullet point, trust the spirit to translate, and then we gotta move on, got it? Here's thing number one that we see in scripture. We talked about it last week, the Imago Day. Gender. God has a very distinct stance on this one. This was his idea. I'm not even telling you my opinion. I'm just telling you God's opinion because he put it in his word. And I'm going to ultimately bow down to God's word on these things. Gender. God made people as distinct men and women in his image. These two genders are a gift from God and are to be honored in every person. All right, where we get this from among many places, Genesis 1:27, where God told us God created man in his own image. We talked about this last week. We are all image bearers of God. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God's words, not mine. You deal with it with the Lord. But he has a clear and distinct position when it comes to gender according to his word. The second thing, marriage kind of goes hand in hand. Gender is sacred to God because he designed it. Marriage is sacred to God because he designed it. Marriage, God defines, not my words, they're his. God defines as a monogamous union between one man and one woman. I didn't come up with that. He did, and he tells us in Genesis 2, 24. So God, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is one of many places in the scripture that make a declaration similar to this. All right. And by the way, guess who said these words? Like you've probably heard those words at a wedding before, right? Man shall leave his father and mother, join together his wife, two shall be kept. Guess who said those words first? God made those up. When he married Adam and Eve, these were the words that he chose. Go back and read that for yourself. And, and I, hear, I hear, you know, some of the voices of the culture saying, yeah, but Jesus didn't take a stance like that. On marriage. As a matter of fact, he did. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 19, he quotes those exact words. Those exact words. Because that's God's design for marriage. Marriage matters to God because it's sacred to him. So he gets to set up how it works. And this is how it works. Uh, thirdly, this is another big hitter. All of these things are being discussed in the current climate of our politics. And I'm, I promise you, we will have more detailed discussions about all these things one of these days, today's not the day. Thing number three is the abortion topic. Okay, God indicates that he is the one that forms children in their mother's womb. He does. We find this in Psalm chapter 139, among other places, verse 13 through 16, when the psalmist declares to God, for you form my inward parts. You knit me, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Listen carefully. Uh, listen carefully to especially, especially the um, conservative evangelical crowd amongst us. I see it every election time, at least in my lifetime, because I was born after Roe versus Wade. Wasn't I? Yeah, that was in the 60s or 70s, right? Yeah. I ain't that old yet. I've seen it every election. When election comes down to the wire, conservative Christians start wielding that sword of, yeah, but if you're a Christian, what about pro-life? Got to be pro-life. Of all the issues on the docket, like what the conservative evangelicals are saying, like this is the most important because it deals with life, which is the most important of all these issues, to which I don't agree. I'm, I'm as pro-life as it gets. I'm very, very, very pro-life. Very, very, very pro-life. I'll debate it till the end of my life. But, but let, me, let me be very specific with you, dear friends. The, these issues that I just brought up, these very, like, polarizing cultural, political issues. Listen carefully, like obedience in these areas is not just having a right biblical view, it's having a right gospel response. You hear what I'm saying? We just talked about in 1 Timothy 2, like it's, it, is the, it is the people of God, our sole category of responsibility in politics is, is, is to represent, to respond, to be a part of it, to get involved and the same is true for these. In other words, you, just to be clear, you're not standing on the right side of the issue just for believing the right thing. A gospel-centered Jesus follower must also respond the right way. You hearing the difference? It's not enough to just believe the right thing. You gotta respond the right way. Here's what I'm talking about. Some of you are under the illusion that you are pro-life because once every four years, you drag yourself off the couch to walk into a voter's booth and you check the box next to whatever politician is pro-life and you believe you are pro-life. Checking boxes is not being pro-life. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if you realize this, but like the issue of abortion was around before abortion clinics and before Roe versus Wade. And guess what? If the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, which I think would be fantastic, if they overturn it, if Planned Parenthood gets defunded and there's no abortion clinics to be found in the United States of America, abortion will still exist. You know what that tells me? It's not a political problem. It's not a political solution either. It's stuff like this that I hold the people of God responsible for. And I believe God's word holds the people of God responsible for that. But we will wave our banners and we will make our Facebook posts and we will go to the ballot proudly and we will vote because I'm pro-life. But you have not once walked down the street to wrap your arms around that single mama. You have not once gone down the street to that single mama that's struggling and said, hey, can I watch your kids for a couple of hours just to give you a, just a couple of hours of like peace to go to the grocery store by yourself? Or, or hey, hey, uh, 
you know, we, we wanted to just bless you, so here's a couple hundred dollars to a local grocery store or retailer so that you can, so that just to take some pressure off of you. I see you working hard. I see you loving your kids. I know it's tough to be a single mama. That's what pro-life people do. We can't expect policy to fix the greatest issues in human depravity. That's why God placed his ambassadors here, to be the solution in a broken world, to wrap our, and you can't, you can't fix national policy problems when you step into the box to vote, but you can fix it on your street. When you walk down the street and knock on the door and wrap your arms around somebody that might be vulnerable to something like this, when they feel like they've had love and support they feel like there's a place to lean on. They feel like there's a family that's wrapped their arms around them and loves and supports them. Then I bet you the numbers would drop way down. I bet you the church of God has more influence over the abortion rates than our politicians do. I bet you. If you don't believe me, how about this? Try it. Here's what we're going to do as a church family. I've been meeting with some of the abide pastors that we're a part of the abide community with when it comes to this. I'm just giving you this as an example. All of these issues have gospel responses to them. And I'll read you a few more here in a second, rapid fire, but I'm going to belabor this one because we like to wave this banner a lot. Um, let, me, let me tell you, like, of the abide churches together that we work together in community, we pray together, we fast together, like we've been putting our heads together, some of us guys, and there is a, there's a local center called Choices Pregnancy Care Center. Okay, by the way, it's not an abortion clinic. That's not one of the choices they offer. Because I've had people say, oh, we don't support that. That's an abortion clip. No, it's not. It, it, it's a care center where they bring these young ladies in that are pregnant, that are considering abortion possibly because they're terrified. They, they can't even take care of the two kids they have, much less bring another one in the world. What am I supposed to do? So they kind of counsel them through some godly options while they minister the gospel to them. But here's where the Abide Church, the Abide community is going to link arms. And we are going to buy, yes, Grace Bible Church is going to be a part of this. We are going to buy an ultrasound machine to put into the Choices Pregnancy Care Center. You know why? Because we believe we are pro-life. And we believe if some of these mamas get to hear the heartbeat of their baby and get to see them move, maybe not only will they choose to keep the child, but maybe, or, or put it up for adoption, which is a great option, or maybe... And seeing the life of that child, it would transform their heart to see the power of God and his love and mercy in their lives. Like, so that's what we're going to do. You know why? Because we don't believe that being pro-life is going to a box and checking a ballot. The list goes on, by the way. Uh, I've been reading this book, uh, How the Nations Rage by Jonathan Lehman. Great kind of introductory conversation about kind of our kingship, our kingdom citizenship and modern politics, um, and he says this, as Paul asked the Jews of his day uh, in Romans 2.21, he says, hey, you who are preaching against stealing, do you steal? In other words, like, are you living about what you say you are about? And so I would, he goes on to say, so I've got a few questions of my own. You who call for immigration reform, do you practice hospitality with visitors to your church who are ethnically or nationally different from you? We're talking about gospel responses, I told you. Believing the right thing isn't standing on the right side of the issue. It's having the right response. You who vote for family values, do you honor your parents, love your spouse selflessly and sacrificially? You who speak out against abortion, do you embrace and assist single mothers in your church? Do you encourage adoption? Do you prioritize your own children over financial comfort? Mm. 
You who talk about welfare reform, do you give to the needy in your congregation? You who proclaim that all lives matter, do all your friends look like you do? You who lament structural injustices, do you work against them in your own congregation? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? You who fight for traditional marriage, do you love your wife, cherishing her as you would your own body and washing her with the water of the word? You who are concerned about the economy and the job market, do you obey your boss with a sincere heart, not as a people pleaser, but as you would obey Christ? All these are, by the way, coming out of the scriptures. These are like exact quotes of the Bible. You who care about corporate taxes, do you treat your employees fairly? Do you threaten them, forgetting that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him? Finally, oh, that's it. That was it. That's all we hit. You get the idea? You get the big picture? You get, you get, how, kingdoms, you get how politics has to ultimately report to kingdom citizenship? This is our highest calling because we serve a higher king that sits on a higher throne. Are you catching the picture? But Dustin, you still haven't told them yet that if they really love Jesus, then they got to vote for. Ooh. Listen, I wouldn't want to abuse this opportunity to call you up into a higher kingship by pointing you to the worship of lesser gods. Don't mind if I do. I wouldn't want to miss out and abuse this opportunity to call you up into your kingdom citizenship and your kingdom identity, and yet at the same time point you to the worship of a lesser God. That would be an abuse of this holy place. As a matter of fact, the scripture talks about that. In Psalm chapter 146, it says, praise the Lord, praise, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I'll have being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans, his policies, his strategies are going with him. But blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You want to talk about a political platform? It is he who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is within them. It is he who keeps his faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. It's the Lord that sets the prisoner free. It's the Lord that opens the eyes of the blind. It's the Lord that lifts up those who are bowed down. It's the Lord that loves the righteous. It's the Lord that watches over the sojourners and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. It's the Lord that will bring the way of wicked to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Get the picture. I hope that you'll go to the polls. If you haven't yet, I hope that you will prayerfully and worshipfully steward your vote to the glory of God and for the good of this great country.
that we get to call home. But as you do, I hope that you will reflect on your kingdom calling and you will worshipfully to the Lord submit that ballot for his glory. And presidents have come and gone, but through it all, only one king has remained consistent. And he's not up for election. So no matter who is chosen for the presidency of our country, Jesus still sits on the throne. And oh yeah, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Let's pray. Something tells me, Lord, that you're not going to wake up on the morning of November 3rd and pick up your newspaper and be surprised. Something tells me that you have looked down through the corridors of time and already made arrangements, made an appointment of who you saw fit to sit on that throne, not because you endorsed them, but because you are going to use them and their presidency to glorify yourself one way or another. And so, God, I trust in that. I confess I've got some really strong opinions politically. But I confess, Lord, that I need to be able to walk in the peace of Christ and that it needs to rule in my heart because you are the only Savior that there is. A lesser God will always leave us dissatisfied. So, Lord, step in. May your church glorify you through this very difficult process that we call democracy. In Jesus' name.